All right, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Um, this is going to be an awesome episode. This is episode 114. And as always, um, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please subscribe. Um, you can w- listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, or you can watch us on YouTube. Our channel is just Apex Vaulting. Um, also, if you enjoy the episode, please share it with a friend. Um, also, if you enjoy our content, you can follow us on Instagram at The Real Apex Vaulting, and we're Apex Vaulting on Facebook and All right, now I'm ready. Today, we have an awesome guest for you. Um, obviously, the last few weeks have been very exciting in the pole vault community. Um, we've had the world championships in the past couple of weeks and some amazing, amazing results. And today, we have an awesome guest who can give us some perspective on that. Um, Chris Chappell, uh, why don't you tell the audience who you are, a quick rundown, and then we can get talking about the world championships. Sure. So I'm Chris Chappell. I work with UCS Spirit. My family's been in the pole business since uh, my grandfather started working with Herb Jenks, the inventor of the fiberglass pole in 1970-something, early 1970s. So that's it. Wow. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You make it sound so simple. Um, uh, so, well, I mean, look, that's a huge span of time. And I mean, you guys have provided the polls for so many amazing athletes. I mean, I, I guess I'll start here. It's like, you know, obviously Mondo jumps on UCS spirit. He, uh, you know, had an amazing, amazing performance. And there's a lot of things that I wanted to bring up, but yeah. I think it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, like, from Mondo, then it's like Renault who broke the world record, and prior to Renault, Bupka, all in UCS Spirit. And, you know, I think all of them have similarities and differences. What's your perspective as the family that's providing the equipment to these athletes? Um, you know, what's your viewpoint? How do you look at the, those three athletes and, and the things that they've accomplished? What are, what are your viewpoints? Um, well, as a bit of company history, um, even before Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, Bubka was jumping on a Pacer 3 pole, which was the pole mm-hmm. that my grandfather um, really became most involved with. He okay. he began uh, working with Herb when they were making the, the Catapole, which was the second iteration of the fiberglass vaulting pole. So mm-hmm. before that, it was the the sky pole. Um, and then he sold that, um, business and got involved with, um, Browning arms company. And he was making the Browning, uh, catapult mm-hmm. in the, the early, um, actually, I guess it was the late sixties. And then together they created pacer and the pacer three. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the pole that, um, Sergey set his first world records on. Okay. Um, and before that, it was Bob Seagren um, was using the catapult. And a lot of people probably remember the uh, Munich Olympics where the poles were banned. Yes. And that was a green catapult that Herb, yeah, Herb and my, my grandfather were making and distributing. And that's kind of a, a whole nother interesting and wild story in and of itself. But um, so, yeah, my, my family's been involved with world record setters uh, ever since the beginning which yeah. is really um it's a really neat neat thing to be a part of and it's it's kind of surreal i guess for me because it's it's sort of part of my family's legacy mm-hmm. um just being the on the pole business and manufacturing pole vaulting poles and we've been really fortunate to forge coaches and athletes um mm-hmm. and i think people trust us and they they trust that when we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. And that's a big part of our kind of mission and, and part of our business strategy, I guess. I mean, we don't really sit down and have strategic mission um, meetings, but, you know, we, we always say, you know, look, if we can get you the the polls you need, we're going to do it. And uh, mm-hmm. that's probably the, one of the biggest things about my family and us is like, even as an example, we made, we made 70 polls for the championships for the wow. world championships this year. Yeah. And, uh, getting the polls to the various 
countries and training camps and all that. We delivered about 20 to San Diego where a couple of teams were training, some to Seattle where they were training. And then I drove on my car probably 40 poles uh, up to Eugene mm-hmm. and was driving all around. You know, there's training camps in Corvallis and some out like in some of the small high schools outside of Eugene. Um, there was about probably f- seven athletes or so that jumped on poles that won championships. Yeah. Well, I, and I think something that really sticks out, uh, but you know, to go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say to, an- to answer your question about, you know, Mondo and Renault and Sergey, uh, they were all very different athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all have different strengths, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But they also do a lot of things similarly as well um, on the pole and on the runway mm-hmm. to you know maximize the use out of the vaulting pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, for sure, different athletes. I mean, I remember one time walking past Renault and, you know, I'm not a big guy. But I was like, just shocked at how, you know, normal looking Renault is, you know what I mean? Like if you walk by him on the street, you would not imagine like, you know, world record holder. And it's amazing what some of these athletes can do with different bodies, but it's like, they get on that runway, they're generating that speed. Um, One of the things that stuck out to me as you were talking is like um, that idea of trust. You know, I think even, you know, us running a pole vaulting club and, and coaching athletes, I think always our athletes trust that we're going to be there when we need to be there. We're going to provide a great service. And I think the same, you know, for you guys, I mean, there's got to be an immense amount of trust. I mean, one of the things that, you know, you told me was the poll that Mondo used, that's the first time he used it was at the meet for that world record. And it's like, you have to have a, a, a great amount of trust that, Hey, this, this is produced properly. And this will be exactly the poll that, that I need. I think sometimes we, t- I know I take it for granted. I just, I know that when we're using the UCS polls, you know, and I don't want to make this sound like a commercial for UCS, but it's like, I just, I take it for granted. I know when we're going up five pounds or we're going up 10 pounds or, you know, whatever different length, I know what's going to happen. I, it's not even, there's not even a thought in my mind that like, oh, maybe this won't be the right fit. You know, can you maybe speak to that, you know? building that trust in, in your athletes and coaches that you work with, you know, and, and how you even, you guys accomplish that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it, it comes down to, um, you know, trust is something that you earn. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just bl- people just don't blindly trust somebody, and then right. And the other part about that is is that it's um, it's continuing, right? So mm-hmm. if if we mess up, someone's not going to someone that would trust us before, maybe they might think twice the next time. Mm-hmm. And so ever since the beginning, we've always taken the approach that if if we're going to build a product that somebody relies on, which I think a vaulting pole is a unique product to produce because it's um, you have to have a lot of trust in the, not just in the consistency of it, but in the fact that it's not going to break. I mean, you're, you know, you're let's face it. I mean, there is a potential for, for danger and risk in the pole vault. Right. And so we say it a lot, you know, we can afford to break a pole in the cage in the factory, as opposed to it breaking out on the field. So what that means is, throughout the process of manufacturing the pole, we're constantly looking for uh, any kind of a defect, uh, a blemish or a bubble or a, you know, anything that doesn't look right. Uh, So there's cosmetic and then there's structural. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it doesn't look right, it gets shelved. It goes in a reject pile and, and that's that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's for that reason that, you know, we want to produce a very high quality product that, um, that people can believe in. And then it comes down all the way down to like the flex number being, you know, a millimeter different, mm-hmm. you know, let's say we're trying to hit a 22.2 that one of your kids needs mm-hmm. and we hit a 22.3, not a big difference, but 
it's not a 22.2. So the 22.2 goes in the rack and we take another try at the 20.22.3. And I think doing that for 35 years develops and builds that trust and belief that when we say it's a 23.22.3, that's what it is. It's not, there's no margin. We don't, we don't really give a big margin for error. Right. Um, And so I think just continuing that and doing that constantly, it um, hopefully develops and earns trust over generations. You know, we have people now that um, we, we sold poles to their parents and now they're buying poles, you know, and that's really, that's kind of Mondo's situation. Um, You know, way back when Greg was jumping, he was jumping on spirit poles. And so when Mondo and well, really all of, all the Duplantis kids showed yeah. an interest in pole vault. It was natural, you know, and um, obviously Mondo's the, the youngest boy out of, um, out of the three brothers. And then yeah. he has a younger sister, but you know, when he was showing um, interest in promise in pole vault came a point where, you know, he wasn't big enough to jump on the smallest pole we made. So Greg asked if it was possible to make a smaller pole and, and we did. And mm. um, ever since then we've, you know, developed a really strong relationship with the Duplantis family over many, many years. And it really started with a phone call from Greg's dad to my dad um, saying, you know, Hey, pretty good high school kid. And mm-hmm. turns out he's one of the best high school kids ever to pull ball, you know, but yeah, but that's a, that's a three generation family that we've really been fortunate enough to, to call our friends. Yeah. Yeah. No, that. Yeah, that's, uh, that is very fortunate. And, but I think also like, you know, we've been talking about, you know, establishing that trust and, you know, delivering what you promise is super, super important. Um, kind of to go back to specifically the, the world championships, um, what were your feelings or impre- like, did, did you have a feeling he might break the world record? Like what, what, what were your thoughts going into the meet before it even started? <laughs> Um, well, I have a couple of stories actually. Sure. So, um, early in the year, he jumped at pre. Okay. And, um, we brought, I brought two poles with me for the pre meet that mm-hmm. kind of fit sort of in the middle of the series. And, um, and so we, you know, I brought the poles up and, and the conditions weren't that great at pre and actually they moved the meet. So they were going to jump on Saturday and actually it was really cool. They did a cool thing where they sold a pole vault only not a pole vault only, but a special pole vault ticket. Okay. And with the ticket, you would have an opportunity to do a, um, they did a question and answer thing on, I think it was Thursday, Thursday night. Oh, awesome. And then they were going to, they were going to have a practice session on Friday that gave all these ticket holders access to the practice session. Mm-hmm. And we brought up a couple extra um, polls, like Mondo sized polls that are sort of, you know, they were, they were poles that had, you know, blemishes that we couldn't right. put on the market, but they're, you know, five twenties and right. Pretty close to the same flex, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, you know, give the fans a chance to pick up the pole and be like, you know, see what it's all about. Right. Um, and then have some really cool interaction with the athletes. Unfortunately, the forecast was like hundred percent rain for Saturday, which is when they were going to jump. So they moved the comp to Friday. Um, and it was pretty overcast and still not, not very great weather, a little bit cold, but Mondo jumped. Um, I can't remember the height progression exactly, but it was 90 something. And then they went to six meters, maybe six Oh something. And he was looking really good. Um, but he just wasn't quite rolling the pole over. And I talked to him after the meet he said the same thing, you know, it's like sometimes when it's a little bit cold like that. I feel like I don't really, there's, I just have one little, element of movement at takeoff that moves the pole a little bit better when it's just a little bit warmer out. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I'm thinking about this in the back of my mind at world champs, because now all of a sudden it's like 30 degrees warmer than it was at pre it's later in the season. He really hasn't had great conditions all year, mm-hmm. but anytime Mondo jumps, it's, there's a good chance he's going to jump six meters or, or more. He's just, right. yeah. 
he's just that good. So seeing the conditions, I thought he, he could jump really high today. Uh, but you know, world record is it's way up there. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I, I know. Yeah. Well, I, I thought, you know what I thought was interesting too, was I remember, um, you know, listening to the broadcast and stuff like that. He had what the one miss at 80, I think the, the five eighty bar. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I watch Povo all day. So, um, I was like, oh, I could tell that he just like, like almost like probably like 70, 80 feet for, from the, the box. He could tell he was like, Oh, this is really tight, you know? And he tried to get his feet down, but it yeah, just, yeah. no, he was, it was tight. And so he missed it. And I'm just like, it's so funny. Cause like the announcers are trying to make it sound like, Oh no, like what's going to happen. And I'm like, <laughs> the, you know, going back to like consistency, you know, I think when there's a coach and athlete that are consistent, that's not a problem. Like they knew they just, all right, adjust the step and he's going to bomb it on yeah. the next one, you know, which is what happened. It's so funny. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. The body language says a lot too. Like whenever I'm at a meet, especially mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy being at the meet because you can see what happens in between jumps yeah. and how guys are walking or talk, you know, mm -hmm. there's body language says everything. Right. And you kind of saw, at least I did, I saw him get out of the pit and it was just like kind of annoyed, you know, right. whereas like some people you see, on a first attempt miss, they kind of carry some extra stress. Again, yeah. it turns ugly because he's only got one shot. You mm -hmm. can tighten up. There's a lot of things, but you know, I'll say that's one thing about a, you know, a veteran vaulter and actually Kevin Mayer, the decathlete, mm -hmm. he had a similar situation okay. where he missed his first two jumps at his opening bar. Oh, wow. And I was sitting with some guys and I'm like, oh man, what do you do? Right. Cause he kind of, he kind of had like, like an okay first attempt. And then he, his second attempt was, was big, but he came down on it. Right. And I'm like, you know, do you make an adjustment? Do you move the standards? Do you lower the grip? Do you do anything different? You know, and both the guys sit next to me were like, you keep everything the same. And one guy, he's uh, he's from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. You might remember his name is Christian Tamanga. Okay. Doesn't ring a bell. He has a couple other guys in, in his group, but mm. he's, he goes, you might even move the standards back. And I'm like, what? Ah. And he's like, well, yeah, because, you know, he'd start attempt. He might, you know, he might run a little bit more aggressively. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know what they did if they did any adjustments but he almost missed the bar on the way up yeah. you know he kind of like just almost hit it but they had moved the standards back five centimeters wow that's when you know you and i think i heard was it i can't remember who said it but you know it only takes one chance to make the bar right and it doesn't i mean it does matter you know, because of misses and how right, that plays right, right. out later on in the comp. But if you're down to a third attempt, you can't count yourself out because you still have a have a jump. But you also you can't let that stress affect too much of what you're going to do. Right. Uh, but you know, back to Mondo, you could just see it was like, just yeah, whatever, no big deal. Just right. On it. Yeah. But then if you watch his jumps in prelims, it was like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just uh, and and there's a lot of video of Bubka jumping 575, 570, 580, just by loads. Right. And then, you know, personally I watching Renault jump it in Reno at mm -hmm. the summit, it was quite a few years ago, but and I think it was right after he it was the year after he had broken the world record. Okay. And you just kind of were like just so much height on 570, yeah. and then Mondo just multiplies that by 10 it's crazy <laughs> yeah i i know it but really after 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 the prelim i thought yeah so that just to go back to the polls just because uh you know i know some people would be curious i i so what what poll was he on when he broke the world record Is a five twenty eleven seven eleven point right. seven. 
Yeah. So, I mean, for everybody who maybe doesn't know metric, so that's like a 17 foot pole. And like, if we were talking about pounds, what would you say that was in pounds? Like a weight label is on there. Yeah. I think we call it a 215, 215 okay. pound. Okay. And so, then I want to say the next kind of pole to 20 would probably be at like around 11, 11.5, maybe. Okay. So it's, you know, it's. Yeah. And, we, and, and then, we, af, I mean, go ahead. Af, after that, we, we reach a certain stiffness and it, the, the poundage kind of is, um, it's not irrelevant, but it's just less. So, well, right. I suppose. But like, for right. example, we get that level, like rate most people aren't who's ordering that besides. Right. So, like, and who's ordering stuff? after that anyway you're only dealing with i mean how many people actually order something that stiff at any length uh, i kind of missed that sorry oh I, it, like i i get why you're saying like you don't really put weight labels on it and stuff because like what percentage of people are actually buying poles that stiff would you say yeah so well there's length and stiffness right right so, right, right um you know, it's much more common that we have an athlete or a coach wanting to get a pole that's like a, a 14 foot, 200, 205, 210, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. for a kid that that's, um, they're probably going to be a decathlete, but mm -hmm. you know, they're still trying to figure some things out. And, um, so they're not able to hold so high. Right. Um, so in a situation like that, it's, it's more important or more pertinent that there's a, a weight rating on the pole. Whereas mm -hmm. by the time athletes are jumping on five twenties, yeah. even maybe five meters, right. You know, there's this, there's a certain skill level where they're, you know, um, they don't need the full five pound stiffness of pole. You know, their, their jump is so consistent that, you know, for Mondo as an example, I think he's at like 0.3 stiffness difference in his series of poles. So he might have and for people listening, what's, if you're saying 0.3, what would that be in pounds just to give people an idea to understand, right? So five pounds would be how much of a jump stiffness? Well, so that's also complicated because it depends on the stiffness and the length. Mm. So, um, and, and so I guess we should go back a little few steps and discuss sure. how we measure the stiffness of a pole. Mm. So uh, when we make a pole, we need to know kind of the context of where that fits. And so based on the length and the stiffness, we can know what the, what the pound weight rating should be. Okay. And that's determinant on, on how stiff the pole is and how long the pole is. And so we'll measure the pole in the middle of the pole and the pole is resting on each end. Mm -hmm. And then based on the, the, the depression of that pole, we know what the stiffness is and that stiffness is measured in a, in a centimeter or millimeter grade. Mm -hmm. So for example, Mondo's on a 11.7, that's 11 centimeters, seven millimeters mm -hmm. um, in say like a 14 foot series. Um, the weight range, mm -hmm. there would be maybe one, one point, something like that to make a 10 pound or a five pound weight rating. Okay. So you could ultimately, you could have 10, 10 poles that are progressively stiffer that all fit within that weight rating. Right. Right. So yeah. Then, no, you know, yeah. Yeah. And so we, uh, of course we adjust the, the scale for the, the length of the pole. And so, mm -hmm you know, like a, a weight rating or a, a stiffness rating flex number in a 14 foot pole isn't going to be the same as a flex rating in the 15 foot pole because they're right. two different lengths. So they're measured on a different, we have to accommodate for that length. Right. Um, so when you're talking about what does a flex number mean um, in one pounds to another, it kind of, it gets a little bit complicated because as the pole gets stiffer, you know, one millimeter of stiffness means more than if it's just, I mean, if you just point zero, 
right. to it, 0.3 would be 10% of, of 30. And then if you go right. 10, you know, 0.1 would be 10%. I sorry, I said 30%, but I meant 10%. Yeah, yeah. So does, so so as the pole gets stiffer, that point millimeter stiffness means different, different things. So you can't really I can't make a blanket statement to say that right, you know, 1.0 is 10 pounds. It just doesn't quite work that way. Right. Um, but what I can say is is that, you know, as an athlete is developing, you know, their their step might vary a foot two feet. Right. And when they take a jump, they might, they might be able to say that they felt a difference. They might not. Right. But a girl at the very most elite level, their step might change one inch and they're going to know the difference. Yes. Yeah. And so it, it, it comes down to consistency in the run and the takeoff and the vault to where the progression of pole should be. So if they're duplicating the same jump over and over and over again, and their step is very consistent, their takeoff is very consistent, then, you know, maybe taking, um, a five pound difference of stiffness and pull might be too big of a jump. Whereas a, a kid that is going to grow six inches over the course of the year, right. You know, a high school kid developing, you know, going that height of a progression, they're going to jump on a different pole. Mm -hmm. well, it makes it really difficult to sort of duplicate and learn or how to progress in that way. Right. And, th and that's why too, and we were kind of talking about this prior to the podcast. Um, I think when you're coaching athletes and you're developing athletes, like you said, you don't need such incremental adjustments with the pole. It doesn't need to even be maybe sometimes five pounds apart. You can make those 10 pound jumps with beginners because like you said, they're advancing so quickly. The other thing I, and you know, for anybody who's listening, in my opinion, as a coach, I think when you have those people that are in the beginner stages or novice stages, you don't want to over adjust. I think everybody wants to like over adjust the step, over adjust the grip, over adjust the pole, over adjust the standards. No, let the athlete develop their consistency in their jump, in their run, and their plant, their takeoff, so that then, yeah, eventually, then you will have to do a five pound jump. And then maybe they get to a certain level, like you're saying right now, where you don't even want to do a five pound jump. You might have to do less, but that should be a way more refined athlete. Like you said, I, I mean, if you can feel a one inch difference in your run, that, that definitely tells you that you're dealing with someone who's a skilled, skilled athlete. Um, so quick aside. So I, I had mentioned to one of my high school boys, you know, what Paul Mondo was on the 17 to 15. And he was wondering if the best approach to get to that pole as an athlete is you get the equivalency in every foot. So start with a 13, 295 <laughs> and work your way up. I mean, what do you think about that? <laughs> hey, I don't know. I mean, that's uh, interesting. Interesting idea. I, I don't know if it, I've never heard anybody doing that, but I'd like to see how that plays out. Oh, could you even imagine what would a 295 be in flexi thing? Like 13? Probably need to, probably need to put a pole inside a pole. <laughs> oh, we had a guy we had a guy come and uh he was in the shop you know and he's a he's a bigger dude and um he doesn't know anything about pole vault he's yeah. he's like a materials guy so uh anyway he's like yeah i'm probably around you know 250 or something you know so we're like pulling poles out of the rack i'm like yeah, i don't yeah, know yeah. this this might work for you <laughs> yeah. but then i'm like hey you know we we'll just just put one of these small poles inside the bigger pole and yeah it won't bend, it won't bend at all <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I don't but know. There is in, in just in like physics, stiff and so short. I'm sorry, you cut off there a little bit. Say, yeah. say that again. I'm sorry, you cut off. Oh, I was just saying, I think there's a certain point where like it can be so short and so stiff. It's like a you could have a pole that's like so short and so stiff that it's just the physics aren't, they don't quite work. Right. Like where yeah. it, it just doesn't quite, it's not going to, it's not going to bend. So you're better off. Yeah. So at that point you might as well just stiff pole and that, 
really, I mean, that's essentially the a big part of Petra model is, you know, a lot of straight pull and learning how to, how to move the lever without it bending at all. And then right. maybe bending a little bit and then a little bit more and so on and so forth. But in some right. of his, his athletes gripping really, really high, like yeah. probably 15, 15, 16, man, 16, is probably a little high, but maybe like 14, six, 15 feet. Mm-hmm. on a pole that just barely bends a little bit. Yeah. So that, that could be, you know, your, your yeah. guy's idea. Cause we, <laughs> you know, it's basically that. Yeah. Well, Until they get to a point where they can grip high enough that it does start to bend. Right. Right. Well, so um, since you bring up Petrov, um, I thought that was something that stuck out to me watching the meet where I'm like, wow. Here's Petrov again, you know, he, he's coaching the third and fourth place guys, you yeah. know, and obviously you guys have been involved with Petrov over the years. I mean, what do you say about that guy as a coach? It, in my opinion, you know, again, I, you know, people talk about Bill Belichick in the NFL with the Patriots. I mean, I, I think Petrov, I mean, he just consistently mm. keeps producing, you know, what, what is it about that guy? I don't know. I mean, I can say from like personal experience, his level of acceptance is really, really high. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, he demands a lot from the athletes mm-hmm. and I, and I think it, it drives them to produce more. So as an example is EJ looked fantastic. I yes. mean, he jumped so well, but it's the first time the Philippines have ever medaled in track and field ever and mm-hmm. in, in a major world championships, Olympics, anything like that. So to, to do that is a big accomplishment for a kid from the Philippines, but the body language was of disappointment. A yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I think they both know that, well, number one, I mean, he ran through three times at six meters. So that's always yeah. a little bit like, Oh, you know, that's disappointing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what the story is on that, but I think yeah. both EJ and Petrov felt like today could have been his day to jump six meters. And he, he, he could have, I mean, right. if he had the same exact jump at, at 90, was it 94? Yeah. If he had that at six meters, that's a good chance that's a make. Right. And then he's, and then he's second, not third. You know, there's a lot of factors there. And of course, right. Nielsen is so solid. He could jump six meters on any given day. It seems like, right. um, so to say, you know, he could have been second if this happened. Well, of course, but it didn't. Um, and no, but he's jumping great. And um, I just think that, that in their view, they know there's more, you know, even though he competed really well and he jumped really well and took home some hardware was, you know, massive for him and his country. Yeah. Um, so, so I think there's, there's that side of it. You know, mm-hmm. he's pretty relentless when it comes to technique. And like, if you're not doing it, we do it again until you do it. And then once you right. do, do it, we're going to repeat it. We're going to repeat it. We're going to repeat it. Um, so I think there's that element. And I think, I, I just think he spends a lot of time developing the run and the takeoff mm-hmm. and, and all the guys that he's coached have that very similar approach where the, the run is really, um, building from the start and accelerating on. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, and he's been at it a long time. I mean, I talked to him over the week, you know, and I think he said he's, he's like 72 years old, maybe a little bit wow. more. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, I don't, you know, I don't know how much longer I can keep coaching, but he also, you know, his, his deal is always a long-term projection. So EJ, I think, is in year six, maybe working him. Oh wow! Um, uh, Tiago's been jumping with him since he was like sixteen. I mean, he's right. he jumped a lot with Elson, but mm-hmm. Elson brought him to Petrov in the beginning, and they worked a lot together. So his development over time has been really tied to Italy. Um, obviously, Elson did a really great job and coached him um, from the time he was he was young, right. but he sought out that sort of, you know, Petrov model, so to speak. Right. Um, but, uh, 
I don't know. He's had some great vaulters of different um, body types and different um, backgrounds. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch. And I mean, again, like for anybody who's listening, you know, the takeaways that, you know, I, I would get from thinking about like so far, everything that we talked about is like, you know, one, like that consistency, you know, the meticulousness, and um, I don't know if you're familiar. I, I've been listening to some uh, Tim Grover stuff. Do you know who Tim Grover is? No. You definitely know his clients. Uh, he trained Michael Jordan. You know, <laughs> Kobe Bryant. Okay. And, okay. I mean, he's like another one nice. of these guys that talk about like you know being meticulous and driven and not being satisfied. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, like I mean. Anybody else, if they walked into world championships and placed third and had the day EJ had, would be all smiles. But yeah. when you're that driven, it's like, yeah. ah, there was more there, you know? That's that's mm-hmm. something that, I mean, I, I think it's critical for a winning attitude, you know? I remember I remember Sergey, same kind of attitude. He, I remember him saying in an interview one time, he said, you know, okay. You know, I, if someone asked him, you know, like what motivates you or whatever, and he said, "Well, you know, I, I am still Sergey. I broke the world record, but tomorrow I'm this. If we can go higher, yeah." And that was, I think, just a certain mentality, and I think Mondo's the same way. I mean, yeah, shoot, he's he broke every age group world record since the time he was, I don't know, even know five, eight, you know, and yeah. then, but he. And, you know, he's a special case because he's, he just is, but how do you jump? I mean, he, he beat the field by 20 centimeters, yeah. 27 centimeters. It's yeah. crazy to think about 10, 10 inches. Like I, my, it, I can't wrap my head around that, but you know, I know he's thinking about 622, 623, 630, maybe, you know, what's right. possible. Yeah. No. And I mean, I definitely think too, the thing that I really enjoy and love about Mondo is his level of competitiveness. I, I think sometimes, you know, in the pole vault community, especially, it sometimes seems like just a bunch of people jumping together and having a good time. But it's like yeah. he looks so driven. I mean, I I don't know if you remember, but even during COVID, when they did that like garden vault in the backyard, it's like he didn't want to end in a tie. He's like, no, no, no. Like I, I got to keep going. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to win this thing. And this is just like a silly backyard. Like let's have fun thing. And he's competitive there. And I, I just think that's some next level stuff, you know? I remember seeing you being all mad about them ending it in a tie. You're like, this is BS. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I give them props for, for, coming up with a solution, you know, and coming up with this competitive environment, but you know, and you're right. It's like sometimes in the public community, we, and it's cool because it is a brethren. It's, it's a, we're all kind of trying to do the same thing. We're fighting the same physics. And so it, it, it becomes kind of a, a personal mission of jumping your personal best. Can you improve your, yourself. Right. But there is a competitive nature about it. And there is a competitive element about competing against your peers. Mm-hmm. And some people are just fiercely competitive. And I think he has that thing. And it doesn't mean that he can't be friends with his competitors. Well, it just means that on the track, he wants to be better than them. Right. No, a hundred percent. And I think, I think that's something too, that I definitely think people struggle with. Cause like, I'm, I'm also very big on like honesty. Like, I think honesty is super, super important for me. And, um, you know, and I, I think sometimes people try to be overly friendly. Like I, I even like talking to like high school coaches and being at high school meets and stuff like that. It's like, Oh, we're all friends. Like, yeah, you look pretty pissed when you lost though. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so it's like, I think there's that level of like, you can be competitive and want to win. I think that's fine. That's honest. And then after the meet, we can still shake hands. We can still grab food together. And that's okay too. I just, just, you know, to me, it's like, you gotta, you gotta be honest about wanting to win, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm competitive too, just like everybody. And obviously we want to see people 
progress and we want to see the poll progress and be a positive influence in people's lives and all of those things. But I do like to see people who are choosing to use our polls perform. I, I it gives sure. us great joy to see somebody using a spirit poll and perform, you know, and it's like you get so-and-so be using spirit, you know, and, and I do deeply believe that our polls provide the best chance for athletes to jump as high as possible. I think the way that we build the polls, um, speaks to that. And I think that, um, the consistency that we provide from pole to pole speaks to that. And, um, hopefully we can help develop that trust in athletes, but, but I think, you know, everyone pole vaulting can benefit from a spirit vaulting pole over all other poles. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. And, you know, to kind of segue on, on a, a final topic I'd love to discuss with you is I, you know, I agree with the, you know, the spirit poles. I mean, we use them. There's a wall of them behind me right now. Um, you know, and one of the things that I, you know, and this is again, being really honest, one of the things that I love about running a pole vaulting club, and we we're kind of talking about this before the podcast is this is a great sport. This sport can provide so much for people. And like we were talking about, like I, you know, at my club, we actually have a lot of like children and parents that jump at the club and this is their way of getting physically fit, you know? And I think pole vault is one of these great sports that one, it's fun. And you shared a story about Becky holiday, who, I mean, I remember she's a great vaulter. Maybe you can share that with us, but it's like, it's a great way to stay in shape. It's fun. And the thing is, unlike some physical activities, like I brought up like powerlifting. I mean, I happen to be wearing a powerlifting shirt, but like you could be very unhealthy in powerlift and deadlift a, a very big, big weight. But in pole vault, you're going to, it, it kind of like, it doesn't give you a lot of wiggle room. Like you got to be strong. You got to be fast, but you can't be too heavy. You can't be too light. You know, it's like you, you kind of hit that sweet spot where, you know, it, it keeps you in check. And it also, because it is such a fun activity, I feel like it's the carrot that motivates you to maybe do some workouts that you wouldn't normally want to do. Um, do. Do you want to maybe speak to that and, and share that Becky story? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear quite all of it. it broke out a little bit, but, um, yeah, I was at the Nike nationals in, in Eugene a couple of weeks before worlds and I ran into Becky and, you know, she's talking about pole vaulting again, you know, and she was obviously a what stud. Was Becky's lifetime best? I'm sorry. What was Becky's lifetime best? It was over. I think it was 15 um, at least something like that. I, yeah. I was going to say at, at a very minimum, it was, it was high 14s, maybe 15. I bet it was like 15 three, I want to say. Yeah. Okay. But she, yeah, she was an Olympian and, um, I'm pretty sure she competed a couple world championships, if not, you know, one, mm-hmm. uh, she's coaching a little bit now, but she's like, yeah, you know, I pole vault for fun and for fitness basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, pole vaulting beats, you know, hammering it out on your Peloton at home on the stationary bike, staring at a wall, you know, like it's right. a really fun activity. And the other thing about pole vault that we didn't really talk too much about is uh, it's pretty unforgiving. Right. Or it can be right. Yeah, so yeah. like, especially when you're learning, you're learning mm-hmm. on a, on a straight pole mm-hmm. and you, you have a bad takeoff. It's like, it kind of can hurt a little bit, you know, sure. you don't really move the pole and things like that. So it, I can totally see, especially somebody who's never vaulted before and they pick it up at a later age and mm-hmm. they start to, to, kind of start to figure some things out. It starts to get more and more fun and you yeah. jump a little bit higher. And then you have this very, very measurable level of success, so to speak, you know, like right. did I improve. Right. I actually, it was funny at the, at the world champs, I was, um, I had seats like in the way upper deck, which mm-hmm. aren't terrible. Actually, I, I enjoy watching the vault from far away sometimes, mm-hmm. but I got there pretty early and I, there was the whole stadium was more or less empty except for the coaches. And so there was a few people I wanted to see and talk to and stuff. So I ended up sitting down just like kind of down low Mm -hmm. and kind of seat hopping, you know, people would be like, Oh, that's my seat, you know, and move. But I ended up sitting down um, in like the front row for a little bit. And I sat next to a girl that was a photographer. She's from New Zealand. Okay. And, takes she actually has some really great pole vault shots mm-hmm. uh, and i had 
we actually purchased some for like catalog use and stuff. Okay. And so I had known her through email only, okay. you know, and I didn't ever met her or anything. And so we were talking and she's like, Oh, you know, are you a coach? And I'm like, no, but you know, we make the polls and she's like, Oh, and I was wearing a UCS spirit hat and a shirt. Right. And she looks at it and she goes, Oh, wait, are you Chris? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, Oh, Alicia, you know? And so we like shook hands. Turns out she started pole vaulting when she was like 21 years old or something. Wow. Awesome. And she just, she was a runner and mm-hmm. she became friends with the pole vault group. And she, I think for, for like photography, pole vault is pretty fun to take pictures of because of the, yeah. you know, like the, I remember in high school taking a photography class and the person that they were talking about, like at the pinnacle where the athletes going over the bar, you know, it's like a good, right. Yeah. Great shot. Photography lesson, action yeah. shot, you know? And anyway, so she's like, yeah, I just thought it would be fun. And she's totally hooked. You know, yeah. she just loves it, loves pole vault. And I think that's anyone that tries it. That's why the pole vault community is kind of so tight knit and strong. It's like, we all recognize and respect the challenges that it presents, you know, whether it's people jumping on other poles or our poles. That's why I think it, it can be friendly, but also competitive because we understand the challenges, right? right? Like, you know, how do you figure this part out? Or how do you figure that part out? You know? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I I think it's it's an amazing uh, you know sport, and like you said, like I think people even picking it up at older ages, like in their twenties, thirties, heck, even forties, uh, it provides that like mental puzzle. Like you have to figure out yeah, sure. so much technique to figure out, and then it's like so you you can get that satisfaction, like even before you clear your first bar, it's like okay, I finally figured out how to turn today, or I finally figured out how. To plant today and then the the physical elements are great because yeah you are going to get in better and better shape you know maybe you were someone that didn't have the upper body strength now you're developing that maybe you didn't have the lower body strength to run fast you're developing that and Mm -hmm. there's all that that kind of goes along with it and it's a sport that can provide so much for, for for the people that are trying it and you know i i definitely can see you know, pole vault continuing to grow. You know, I think just people have yeah, to be yeah. maybe a little bit more open-minded. Um, I think it's funny. I, I sometimes almost feel like at the top level, it's like, everything's kind of like, all right, everything's cool. But then on the bottom level, it's like people sometimes poo poo, like maybe a 21 year old only jumping eight feet at a meet. And it's like, no, but this is a person mm. starting out. Like it's okay. They're just getting into the sport. This is another person to add to our community. And I think that's where people have to kind of open their minds and think about it from that perspective, you know, you know, someone clearing a bar for the first time is awesome. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times there's a, I don't want to say it's a pole vault specific thing. I think it's, it's global. I think it transcends a lot of different sort of communities and different things, but there can be a, there can be an element of elitism right yes. like if you go to the ski slopes and you see somebody skiing on skis that are 30 years old or 40 years old or whatever and you're like oh your equipment's old and blah 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 right but why why i mean they're out there having fun and doing something outside that's active and contributing to their own you know personal athleticism or their own right. you know, health yeah. and why not why 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 can't pole vault be something that's a workout like like if you go out running and you run a marathon, you know, so you line up next to, you know, this elite level marathoners, like, are they going to be like, Oh, you don't belong here. Get out of here. You know, you're doing it all wrong. Like, yeah. Yeah. Why? You know, unless someone's being just totally blatantly unsafe, right. doing things that are, you know, that you, you, nothing that is is a workout i mean how sore do you get after you pole vault if you haven't done it in a long time it's it's a lot yeah Yeah. i I took my (laughs) i took my daughter to one of those trampoline parks the other day okay and like jumped on the trampoline for about three minutes and i'm like wrecked (laughs) you know what i mean i feel like i'm in okay shape i yeah you know do some running do some biking like (laughs) but it's a different thing you know different so why not? Why can't you go to the gym and rep out 25 vaults and just be gassed and got a little bit better that day? Like, you know, you don't have to be trying to set the 20, you know, well, 21 year old 
record is going to be pretty tough to beat, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Masters <laughs> world record, you know, you're 55 right. years old. Like you don't have to try and jump 16 feet. Right. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, well, I, I mean, I feel like we definitely so the, the question is, is topics. how do we get, how do we get, how do we get 24 hour fitness to put a pole vault pit in there? Ah, uh, <laughs> 20. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think that that's the thing too. I think, you know, pole vault people have to start thinking on those terms, right? Like I, I'm, you know, I can discuss with you off the podcast, some things that I'm thinking about, but like, um, that if we could get it to the point where like, think about it, 24 hour fitness, like you said, like they have a basketball court, right? I don't think, you know, if, if, if only 5% of the population played basketball, they wouldn't put a basketball court in the 24 hour fitness. It doesn't seem to make sense, right? You could put more, like you said, you could put more rowing machines or treadmills over there, you know, in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we could get our sport popular enough where, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine if a 24 hour fitness or one of these other places start putting a pole vault pit in, cause that's something that people definitely want to do when they do a workout. <laughs> Then you know we've reached a definitely crazy high level. You know, I mean, look at all the UFC gyms that open up. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely that's grown. Crazy. You know, you wouldn't have thought that twenty years ago. You know? Yeah, no, no, it's it's been a really popular thing. But it's interesting, you know, like if I fly somewhere or whatever, you sit down next to somebody on a plane and they're like small talk. Oh, pole ball, whoa! Like I didn't know that was you know a thing. I didn't know you could make a business out of that. You know. But then they always say, you know, oh man, I, I tried it in high school or I wish I could, you know, I never, you know, I never tried that. What's yeah. it like, you know? And right. if you could just say, Hey, come give it a go, you know? Well, so I, I give people this like analogy, you know, maybe this is something good to end on, but like, I give people this analogy, imagine a world where the chocolate chip cookie didn't exist. Right. Everybody loves chocolate chip cookies. Right. But imagine a world where that didn't exist and you made the first chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> Your toughest job is not making the cookie. It's getting everybody to know how awesome this cookie is and getting them to, try, to try it. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that's, that's the hard part. Sure, Making sure. a cookie is actually pretty easy, you know, and you know, mm-hmm. it's good. But now it's like, how do you spread the word about this to the point where now, I mean, think about how many variations we have of the chocolate chip cookie. You know, oh, you have sure. soft chocolate chip sure, cookies, sure. you have hard ones, you have milk chocolate chips, semi-sweet, white chocolate, right? Like there's so many different variations of it, you know? We basically maybe. have, I think, the chocolate chip cookie of sport. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But you know what's funny is um the it's like back to the history of it. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the fiberglass pole was invented in 1948. That's the first time it was oh wow, okay made. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think it wasn't until the 60s. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the difference was, well, there was a lot of resistance, mm-hmm. you know, because it was, it was a different, it was a game changer. Right. And so the, the, especially at the very elite level, right. A lot of people didn't, didn't like it because it changed, it changed pole vault. Right. And especially if you jumped at a really, really high level, let's say you jumped 15 feet on a straight pole, which is pretty remarkable. I don't know a lot of people that could do that today, right. but um it took a lot of people to try it to get to like, Hey, you know, try using this fiberglass pole instead of the steel or bamboo. Right. And a lot of people, once they tried it, it was kind of like, Oh, this is, this is different. You know, this is a whole, whole new deal. Right. And then, but it took 20 years to really start to gain some momentum. Right. No. Maybe, you know, with pole vault, it's, you know, but at the same time, I don't think there's a lot of people just, I mean, I don't go down to our neighbors in the business park and say, Hey guys, you should come try pole vault. Maybe I should. <laughs> Maybe you should. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, definitely it's something that I think now, you know, even at my club, I think at first like training post collegiate adults, who I would say are not training for the Olympics or trying to go to, right. Just regular adults who this is their thing. It took a little bit to kind of get momentum to get those kind of people through the door. 
now yeah. that they're here, like it was so funny. Like I, I had a, a new girl come in the other day and she's going into seventh grade and her mom comes in who mom looks like she's in fantastic shape. And she tells me her and dad were both D one gymnasts at Illinois. So, and, and the, you know, and mom's in phenomenal shape and she comes in and just so happens that same session, that girl came in, I had one of my high school boys come in and his dad who jumps also. And I'm like, She's like, parents jump? I'm like, yeah, like we have parents that jump in here. We have lots of adults. And you can see in her eyes, she was like, ah, like mom and daughter jump together. That sounds good. Like you can tell, like she's kind of thinking yeah. about it now where it's like, how awesome is that? Because even in my mind, like I feel like a lot of pole vault coaches are always thinking about their next champion or their next state title or whatever. And for me, I'm like, this is even better than a state title because now- it's like I'm providing such a bonding experience for a family, right? It's like if mom and daughter jump together or son and dad jump together or whatever uh, combo, it's like this is I'm providing a bonding experience, something they're both doing together. It's going to add value to their lives. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, state and state titles are cool. Don't get me wrong. I want to win. But it's like that that is amazing to me. And you start to really build a community and culture at, at your club, you know? Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That's cool. I haven't heard of a lot of, but why not? Yeah, you know, like, and I think that's the thing is that we get into that mindset of, mm -hmm. you know, of course we're, of course we're riding a high after Mondo sets the world record. Right. You know, I mean, it's like it blows my mind what he did. Yes. But you know, he's one in a million. Right. Well, and, and this is you the know, thing, and right? pole vault. And, and I think, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to say, I think too, that, that pole vault for me. Uh, so if we didn't make pole vaulting poles, I would be doing something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it just so happens that that's the path that, that, I chose through mm -hmm. college and it, I'm very passionate about pole vault. It's what I love. Mm -hmm. But if I was doing something else, it's the lessons that I learned pole vaulting that carry me through decision-making, um, mm -hmm. teamwork things are lessons that I learned pole vaulting. Yeah. And then if you can add on top of it, sort of this bonding thing, and I mentioned skiing, cause it's something that we do. We, we live right. by Tahoe and, I'm teaching my kids how to ski and it's something that I see as a, a long-term um, thing that we can do together as they grow. Right. And so it's like, you know, and they, they really enjoy it. It's one of those things that we, and that they took to really young and they really enjoy it. But, you know, why couldn't that be for right. another family or my own family too, you know, someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I even think about, you know, again, and I guess uh, to finish this podcast up is like Mondo record was amazing. amazing. It was an amazing thing to watch. And, you know, I'm sure even some people, if they could, they were like, well, I'd like to get a taste of that. I know I'm not going to, you know, that's the world record. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to jump the world record. But totally. if I can get a little taste of that, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I think that would be huge. And I think yeah, and like you yeah. said, the life lessons, the bonding that people can have, it, it's, it's an awesome sport that can provide that, you know, is there anything else you'd like to add before I, I close yeah. off the podcast? Um, no, I think just on that topic, pole vaulting is very, it's very intimidating, you know, especially from the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like, how do you, you know, how, how can we introduce more people to it? Mm -hmm. um but you know that that was actually i don't know if you saw it but we're st we started kind of introduced it at the pole vault summit this last summit okay um, and it's a project that i've been working on for a while uh, but the whole purpose and idea was that when you know Susie comes to pole vault practice or pole vault club mm -hmm. or whatever and her little brother or little sister sees her doing it and wants to give it a try, mm -hmm. you know, as a club owner, you know, the smallest pole is like a 10 foot pole or 10, eight. Right. And sometimes it's just too much, especially if it's a little kid. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, is there a way that we can make it less intimidating right. for a kid to try, to try, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's not meant to be a training pole. It's not meant to be a pole that bends a long way. Mm-hmm. It's just meant to be relatively lightweight, get maybe a little bit of a of a twinge, so it's less intimidating mm-hmm. for a kid. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I, I would expect kids to jump on those poles for a year or two and right. then be actually vaulting on pole vaulting poles if they enjoy it. And so the other mm-hmm. element of it was to try to try to produce it in a way that we could really reduce the cost. Right. Um, and I think we're, we're pretty close. It, it's tough with just material costs, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we don't hardly make any margin on it. So it's something that is strictly kind of like a learning tool. It's like, Hey, how yeah. can we try to help introduce pole vault to more people? And, uh, and I think if, if there's a certain barrier to entry, if we can reduce that intimidation factor, then maybe more right. people would try it. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And I think that's a great idea. I know I've seen stuff with uh, DC Vault with their Flyaway Kids programs. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. They have that yeah. smaller set of mats that, like you said, it's less intimidating for a little kid. Yeah. And they're getting kids off the ground. And I, I, I think that's awesome, you know? Well, yeah. Chris, thanks again. Well, I hope, I think, you know, it's, it's, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I know people were listening. There's a little bit of these uh, delays, but, um, yeah. So th- thanks again for doing this. I just want to end the podcast. I know we spent a lot of time, um, just for everybody that's watching, please share it, subscribe, Apple podcasts, um, our YouTube channel is apex vaulting. And if you have any comments or questions, please email me at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody.